Okay, do I need like to do like an introduction, like overview? I think Mary State kind of did that. So um, where do I want to start? Who's married? Okay. That's awesome. Who's engaged? All right, cool. All right, they actually just got this presentation from me, or kind of a couple weeks ago. So um, who's single? <laughs> right. <laughs> So for me, I'm gonna like I like to zoom out. Like we're obviously talking about like openness to life, natural family planning, all this kind of beautiful stuff. But I want to like zoom out a little bit and I don't know, just hit it from another angle. I don't know, maybe it'll help us kind of segue. My hope is it will kind of like segue into this other stuff that we're talking about. All right, so. Start with a picture of a marriage here. I don't know who these people are, but I just found it online. But it's at the cathedral here, right? All right. So I'm gonna go. Let me see. Let me see mine. I don't want to spend too much time because I know we have three speakers. So I'm gonna try this. Do like ten minutes. We'll see what happens. Okay. So marriage. All right. Obviously, we know why we're talking about marriage, right? This is pertinent to this topic we are talking about. Okay, so what's happening here in this picture? Okay, and yeah, place in the rainbow. What happens right before this in a wedding ceremony? Right, okay, what about before like the exchange of consent? What happens? Come on, y'all just did this. <laughs> I get it. What happens? Exchange of consent, but like this sacrament. No, yes. No, no, no. Let's open the book. <laughs> <laughs> I open the book. And you guys should know. I remember this. What happens? Three things. What are they? Three things. Uh, kind of. We're getting closer. We're getting closer. There's three things. What are they? Liturgy. Questions. <laughs> Questions. <laughs> Questions, okay? All right. Questions before consent. So what are you saying yes to? There's three promises that are kind of that go with these questions. What promises are you making? Yeah, okay, so let me do this. All right, hold on. So here's like the consent. This is what you say I do to, right? I'll say this and then we'll kind of go back to the question. So here's what you say. It can be in different forms, okay? So, John, you're going to say, I, John, take you, Genevieve, for my lawful wife, to have and to hold from this day forward, for better, for worse, for richer, for poor, in sickness and in health, to love and to cherish until death do us part. Or it's in the form of like a question the priest will say, John, do you take Genevieve to be your wife? Do you promise to be faithful to her in good times and in bad, in sickness and in health, to love and honor her all the days of your life? And you say, I do. There's the consent, right? But then, before that, we have the exchange of the ring. Well, it's after that. But before this are the questions. You're making promises, okay? 
I don't want to belabor this too much, but I don't know. It's important, right? So what are you saying yes to? What are you promising? Yeah, kind of. Well, that's well, not really, but yeah, we're, it's almost. <laughs> kids are kids are kind of what we're getting at. But the first one, like, what do you like? Just think about what are you saying? You're gonna be faithful to someone for like ten years, forever. You're saying like so, like fidelity is one of these promises, right? The other one is to what? <clears throat> right. Bingo. You got it. There you go, Tom. You're right. So the first one, have you come here to enter marriage without coercion, freely, and wholeheartedly? I have. Be prepared as you follow the path of marriage to love and to honor each other for as long as you both shall live. I am. The third one, are you prepared to accept children lovingly from God and to bring them up according to the law of Christ and the church? That's the word we talked about tonight. That's why I kind of... Long drawn out, longer than I expected. <laughs> so that's the, that's the one we're going to talk about tonight. Are you prepared to accept children lovingly from God and to bring them up according to the law of Christ and his church? You are going to say, if you get married, you are going to say, I am to this question. This is part of the promises of getting married. So if like there's a willful exclusion of children, you actually can't get married in the Catholic church. Yeah, we can talk afterwards. <laughs> or hopefully some of this will clarify all this, right? So like that is a promise you made. Does everyone know that? Maybe? <laughs> so I think that's a good place to start, right? So we promise indissolubility, meaning like this, this can't be separated, right? And I think most people know that, right? Like I'm not just kind of coming into this and kind of testing it out and maybe we leave, right? Promise indissolubility, fidelity, fidelity to just you, to just you. And then the last one I think sometimes we forget about is openness to life. The Catholic wedding ritual. You promised that. Pretty awesome. Pretty awesome, okay? Now we can kind of get into it. So that's the, the question we're going to be talking about. Openness to life is so important because like part of the definition of marriage, not all of it, but part of it, here we go is a sexual relationship in which spouses are open to the possibility that God may bless them with children. It's a sexual relationship. Again, not the only piece of the definition of marriage, but that is a huge part of marriage. The sexual relationship in which spouses are open to the possibility that God may bless them with children. So, openness to life means that spouses promise to each other that they will commit to never intentionally sterilize any act of intercourse. And I feel like most of y'all know that, right? I feel like most of y'all know that, that like we're going to commit that we are not going to sterilize any act of sexual intercourse with each other. That's openness to life. So, obviously, contraception, any kind of contraception, Condom, pill, vasectomy, withdrawal, any form of sterilization. No bueno. No bueno, right? So that's part of the promise of being open to life in every single act of sexual intercourse, okay? So, check my time here. Alright, so, we're at the altar. You make those promises, you exchange the ring, you say, I do, right? The, the liturgy continues, right? 
and then, you know, I pronounce you man and wife, you kiss the bride, and the organ rips, and you go out, and everyone's cheering, this is awesome, but then what? Okay, yeah, you go to the reception, have fun, you party, you dance, hopefully you don't drink too much, okay, and then what you say at that altar, I do, becomes flesh, like you enact these promises, you enact their commitment. You express with your bodies what you said with words at the altar. It's a beautiful piece of like the theology of marriage. You express with your bodies what you expressed at the altar with your minds and your hearts and your words. The words of your wedding vows actually become flesh. A very sacramental way. Okay? So like actually consummation of the marriage is necessary. Consummation is necessary, right? It can be an impediment. Your marriage can get annulled if you actually never consummate your marriage, right? So you consummate and you perfect and you seal your marriage with this beautiful sexual act. Okay? Alright. Um, okay, I'll say a quick word about this. I mean, obviously, we know you shouldn't have sex before marriage, right? Okay, we know that, right? It's not easy. Obviously, it's not easy, right? But like maybe just a little quick, quick, quick word about this might help you like the why. The why. Well, God said so. Scripture says so. Yes. But like what happens in marriage? Like a bond, a marital bond is sealed by the Holy Spirit. So when you engage in a sexual act before marriage, there's like no bond to express. There's no vow to renew. So like your bodies are lying, right? There's like you're, you haven't like created that foundation, that bond isn't there, right? The last thing I'll say, I mean I could go on and on about this, but the last thing to maybe help you like indulging. Yeah, you done. You want to learn about natural family planning? Come on in, man. All right. <laughs> so like indulging, like in the beautiful marital embrace, like before there's a foundation of marriage, like doesn't prepare you well because like you're acting like. This is like something dissoluble. But like you can maybe not stay committed to this person. You're acting like like you're not you're not committed to a lifelong fidelity to this person. Like you can get out if you want to. There's not a bond created, right? The last thing is like I don't know too many non-married couples that are engaging in a sexual act that are open to life. I, I just don't think that exists really, right? <laughs> I mean maybe a few, but I just don't. You're not. You're not ready to bring life into the world, right? So you're you're closed to life. There's no openness to life there. Okay. What's next? Um, okay, so we go forward from here, and now let's kind of like dig in a little bit more about just the sexual act in general. Okay, let's get a little philosophical. Okay, so check my time here. Oh man, I need to hurry up. Jeez. Gosh, I talked too long. Okay, so like the nature of something. So we want to get at the nature of the sexual act, right? So like, and let's, just, let's just kind of start basic, right? The nature of something. To help us understand the nature of something, it's good to look at like the purpose of it. Like what is it for, right? And I'm sure you kind of heard maybe this kind of drawn out a few times, but let's just take something simple like chair. Like what is like the nature of the chair? To do so, we look at like what, what it's for. Like what, what's the chairness of it? Like what is, what is its essence? We look at it, what it's for. So we know what a chair is for, right? What's it for? Cool, right. Table. What's a table for? All right, cool. So 
I can put things on a chair though, right? And I can also sit on the table, right? So we can do certain things to objects and we actually don't violate their nature, but there's certain things we could do that actually violate their nature, right? If we, maybe multiple people sat on this table, it would like, violate the nature of it, right? It wouldn't operate as a table anymore, okay? So that's a small like, philosophical analogy to kind of get at, okay, like, what is the nature of sex? Well, let's ask the question, what's it for? What's sex for? I'm sure most of you guys know this stuff, but hopefully this will kind of like help you like have more uh, deeper understanding because I need you guys to help teach this stuff because I can't talk to everyone. Like I want you guys to like really like embrace this and learn about it so you can proclaim it to the world who it's like you guys are stupid, you know, I don't know, it's like you Catholics, what are you guys doing with all that stuff? So what is the purpose? Unity. Unity. Very good. Procreation. You got it. Unity and procreation. What's that? You got it. So like that is what is what sex is for. Like we can, it's pretty straightforward, right? Like that's what sex is for. There's a the fun alliterative alliterative reminder is babies and bonding, procreation and unity, babies and bonding. Okay, that's what it's for. Now, gosh, I need to hurry up. Gosh, so like those are those are like the the, the purpose of sex, right? And so like. A married couple can come together and maybe at times be more focused on unity, right? That's great. They can be more focused on unity. We can't disregard the other one, right? Or you can come together and you can be more focused on the baby's part. We really want to get pregnant. That's great. But again, we cannot, we can't separate the two, right? That's the, the biggest thing of this. We cannot separate the two. And that's kind of like the thrust of what we're getting at tonight. We cannot separate the two functions of the sexual act, of unity and procreation. And we do it a lot. Human beings, we do this a lot, right? And we violate the nature of the sexual act a lot. It's sad, right? But this is kind of what we want to help understand and, and embrace um, so that we can respect this awesome gift that God has given to us, right? So I said, a married couple can focus on one or the other, right? But they can't forget the other. But sometimes it happens where um, you can, I think it's less common, but completely disregard the unit of function where like maybe one of the spouses says, all, I'm, all I care about is making a baby. Like I don't just see you as an object, like give me a baby, right? And that, that happens sometimes, not as often, right? But that's kind of like disregarding the unitive function. Right? So it's like, I'm just treating you as an object, give me a baby, right? So that's not as common, but like the other one, um, the, well, the other example of this would be, um, what, what's another example of violating the unit of nature? IVF. There you go. IVF. It's a topic for another event. But uh, yeah, that's an example of, because you, you're not coming together, you're going into like a laboratory, right? Um, you're also creating a lot of frozen embryos that are just going to sit in the freezer forever. That's kind of sad. Um, so that's unitive, violating the unitive state. Okay, obviously what would be violating the, the procreative function? Yeah, yeah, there you go. But yeah, contraception first, right? So yeah, there we go. We got to keep them together. We got to keep them together, all right? So I, those, are, those are two things that are a good like ammunition to kind of help people when they kind of want to argue with you and say like, Oh, you know, this isn't bad or this isn't bad. Well, you can kind of get to 
the root of it all to help people understand. Okay, now I'll end with this. Okay, so what does the church say, right? The church says, obviously, we just talked about contraception, not good, right? It's not a good thing. And I'm not going to go into the, all the, the whole conversation about why it's bad. Hopefully, like, most of us here understand, like, why this is not a good thing. Um, if you have questions, let's talk afterwards. So, not a good thing for a married couple to come together in the middle of grace and use contraception, right? So then what? Does the church say that you should have, like, 15 babies? 20 babies? So you can dress them all up in red shirts and have a good family photo? Does the church say that? No? You don't have to have a lot of babies? No? Okay, very good. So what's the answer? What do we do? Pray. What's that? Pray. Pray is the answer, right? That's a very good answer. Okay, so I'm almost ready to hand it over here. So, like, what's the answer? The answer is, like, we do believe in responsible parenthood, right? The question is, how do we do that? How do we do that? And so the last thing I'll say is that um, I think that I want to I make this clear. Like, the default position, the default position, when you get married, you start enjoying the sexual act, the default position should be, we are ready to have a child. That should be the default position, right? I think, I do a lot of marriage prep, so I think it's kind of gotten, like, when you get married and it's like, okay, let's go, natural family planning. We don't want to have a child for like three years. Okay, that's fine, but that shouldn't be the default. The default should be, I'm ready. We are ready to bring children into this world, right? Responsible parenthood comes into play, natural family planning comes into play, when there is a serious discernment between the couple that says, I don't think we're ready to bring a child into this world. You have to ask the question, why? Like, what is that reason? It actually has to be a serious reason. It can't be because, let's make sure we get that house with the five-car garage first, and then we can start thinking about bringing children into the world. It's a comical explanation, but like, like there has to be a reason. And financial reasons could be one. We're not financially ready. But like there has to be a serious discernment and discussion between the family. Okay, well let's say you've had like three children and like maybe you're just like, I just don't know if we can do that. Maybe you're like a move is coming up. Or like some you know psychological stress is present in your relationship. Well, let's take a step back and talk about it, okay? So that's what I'll end with. I just want to say, like, the default should be, like, we are ready to bring children into this world. And I'm not, I'm not, I promise I'm not saying, I'm criticizing, but I do a lot of marriage prep and I see it. You get married and it's like, yeah, maybe in like three or four years, we'll be ready to have a child. And like, that's not necessarily wrong, but it's like, well, what's, like, why? Like, why are you getting married? Like, well, what's, like, what's the point? So, again, it's okay, but there has to be serious discernment there. So, I'll just leave it at that, and so then the answer is like natural family planning, right? What does that look like? Um, and I hope you all know a decent amount about that, but we have some other speakers here that would like to say something about that. So I'll leave it at that. Who's next? <laughs> Hello. Um, my name is Elizabeth. I'm the physician assistant at Reproductive Health Medicine and Gynecology. 
We are the Catholic Gynecology um, Clinic in the Metro Atlanta area. Uh, we also have a clinic near Birmingham, Alabama, and then we see a lot of patients from other states through telemedicine. So we are serving a lot of women um, and couples throughout the country. Um, so I'm not going to go into NFP yet. I'm going to let Amanda do that later. But I am going to talk about just uh, hormonal contraception in general as like a medication and treatment. Because I know that you know for decades now, women, when we have any sort of gynecologic issue, a lot of times not even gynecologic, just anything at all, um, our answer we're given, treatment we're given, is birth control. You know, you go in and you complain about acne, you go in and you say, oh, you get really bad period cramps, you have irregular bleeding, and we're all given birth control. So, you know, the church doesn't the church doesn't say that it's wrong to be on a hormonal contraceptive when it's for a medical reason, but at the same time, you have to think, is this actually a good medication in general? Like, is this actually treating and healing something that you need to have healed? Because, you know, they have made hormonal contraception for men, but nobody takes it because why would men want to have their fertility suppressed? Like, why would they not want to have that reproductive system if they're suppressed? And they don't. And so when it comes to women, we should not want that suppressed. You know, our reproductive organs, that system is a healthy, functioning, human body, bodily system, just like your, I don't know, thyroid, your pancreas, your liver, all of those things, when there's something wrong with it, you should be trying to treat the problem. So when you think about like hormone contraception, what is it doing? It is, there are molecules that mimic your natural estrogen and progesterone. So estrogen and progesterone are hormones your ovaries produce like whenever you're ovulating. So estrogen, your ovaries always producing at different amounts throughout the month. Progesterone, your ovary produces after you ovulate. Well, what hormonal contraception is, and you know, it comes in all sorts of forms. Like you can get it in pills, a patch, you can get it a rod that's inserted in your arm, you can get it as a device that you put in your uterus. And a lot of women do this. Um, and what it does is there are molecules that mimic estrogen and progesterone, and they attach to the receptors all throughout your body that accept estrogen and progesterone, but they do something that you shouldn't want happening in your body. So it tells your brain to shut off that signal into your ovaries that have your ovaries ovulate each month. And then that relates to the bleeding that you experience on a monthly basis. So really, we shouldn't be concerned about our period, like that bleeding that we experience. We should be concerned and emphasizing ovulation. So like you should be releasing an egg every month, right? Um, so other negative things about hormonal contraception is that they, it's going to emphasize a lot of the side effects that a really strong um, hormones into your body. So, like for instance, the hormones that mimic estrogen, that's like ethanol estradiol, that's um, norethindrone, what that does is it increases your risk of developing blood clots. So you're gonna have more, there's more um, risk of stroke, pulmonary embolism, it's like a blood clot in your lungs. Um, it also increases risk of the gynecologic cancers, so breast cancer, ovarian cancer, even like other related cancers like colon cancer. Um, and then the contraceptives that are more like progesterone, like progestin, progesterone, that is going to 
actually, what it does is when it shuts down your, your reproductive system, your body, your ovaries stop producing estrogen. So then you're, you start losing bones. Like your bone density starts breaking down. And a lot of women will then develop osteoporosis, fractures. Um, and an interesting thing with that is, you know, for women at least, we don't, we build up our bone density until the age of 30. So if you're on these progestin hormones, like contraception, and you're, say, taking it from 15 to 26, you only have four more years to build up that bone density that you lost. And then, you know, you go through menopause later, and, you know, that's in your at higher risk of developing bone fractures. Um, another thing that the progestins can do is it'll thin out your uterine lining. So there are times you can have breakthrough ovulations and conceive, but then it's basically an abortion pill because then there's nowhere to implant. You know, the video then, you know, you'll miscarry. Um, so there's just a lot of really bad effects of being on contraception. That doesn't even have to do with what the church is teaching about the sexual act, but it's just not good medication to be on. So, you know, the real thing is you want to look for what is causing these problems. Like if you're having such heavy bleeding that you're needing iron infusions and you're becoming anemic, you know, like why is that? Why are you not ovulating? Obviously there's something hormonally going on. Like your body is telling you that there's something wrong and you should address it instead of slapping birth control on it. Um, or like really painful periods. Like is it a muscular issue? Is it endometriosis? Is it an infection? Like can you imagine you have an infection and all you're getting is birth control and then you have a developing infection? Like that's crazy. Um, so yeah, those are just things that you know consider. You just—it's not good medication. You don't really want to be on it. Um, but I'll let Amanda end with the happy part. <laughs> <laughs> Hello, I'm Amanda. I am a cycle educator with um, RHM. So I work with Elizabeth and um, these guys over here. So um, I teach the Marquette method of NFP. There's a whole um, slew of NFP methods out there, and I'll just touch a little bit on them um, tonight. But mostly I'm here to just provide you with practicals. If you are married, engaged, single, hoping to be married one day, um, just a little tidbit from my experience so far in marriage. Um, so NFP, like Father Joe said, is the tool that the church lovingly provides us as Catholics to responsibly family plan. Um, it's also very, it's a, I really think it's protective of your marriage because like you said, when you go to the altar, you're promising to a free, faithful, total, and fruitful marriage. And if you're practicing NFP in the way that um, you should be, then those four covenants are protected and you don't have to worry about falling into the sin of contraception. So. You know, most importantly in marriage, you cannot withhold a part of yourself from your spouse. So this includes your sexuality. You know, that's a piece of yourself, so you can't withhold it. Um, and if you do fail to with, um, fail to give it to your spouse, then you risk falling into that sin of contraception. So I'll kind of talk about what that means a little bit. Um, but basically, as a married couple, this doesn't mean that every time you go to have the act of intercourse or marital intimacy, that you are like, we're fertile, we're definitely conceiving. That's not the case at all. Like, otherwise, you might end up like the picture with all the, the red shirts. Uh, I'm gonna have nightmares of that. <laughs> that is okay too. Um, um, 
But this means that every time you do come together, that you are allowing God to be God. So basically, you might like have tracked your cycle as best as you can. You're pretty sure you're in your infertile window. You and your spouse have discerned. You don't, you know, ideally this cycle, we don't want to conceive. But you're not doing anything to prevent God from being God, meaning like putting a barrier in place or doing something where he couldn't in his great creativity um, produce life. So I don't say that to scare you. I just say that, you know, there will never be a time as a married couple when you practice NFP that you don't need trust um, if you're practicing NFP. So this is my first point that I just want to leave with you about practicals for NFP is number one, have trust in the Lord and you can do that by going into prayer. So prayer as a couple, um, ideally every time you you know have intimacy with one another, but especially daily with each other, um, having prayer will allow you to you know bring God into every conversation you have. Um, about intimacy, so you're saying, okay, every cycle is a new opportunity for discernment. Um, God, you know, you know, this is what we're bringing to the table. God then in prayer comes in with his thoughts and opinions as well, um, and you have a discussion with one another about that. So first tip is prayer and trust in the Lord. Um, but secondly, um, and this is where I come in as a cycle instructor, is find a really good instructor for NFP. <laughs> Uh, this is a really huge tip that I hope that you remember if you get married one day. Um, but having an instructor to help you with NFP is key because it's really scary when NFP becomes real when you're married and you're like, I do not know what is going on. And as a female, you know, I'm like up trying to observe all these things with my body and my husband's asking me, hey, what's going on with your cycle? And I'm like, I don't know. <laughs> you know, and it can lead to a lot of frustration and maybe disappointment um, for both parties. So if you have an instructor um, in whatever kind of method of NFP you find yourself wanting to do, it just gives you one other source of wisdom to help you through that discernment of what's going on and how to use that information. So for uh, just an example, for my husband and I, when we got married, we did like the engaged encounter, and there was a very short presentation on NFP. We kind of thought, oh, that'll be enough for us. And so I was like sort of self-taught in some methods of NFP, like the symptom-thermal method. So we just relied on my, you know, basic knowledge of things when we got married. And uh, we, I think, in a similar vein to what Bajo was saying, we're very open to life when we first got married. We didn't discern that there was any very serious reasons for us to avoid a pregnancy. And so we did what I like to call supernatural family planning. So it's like, okay, you maybe you just kind of like God be God that cycle and you, you know, uh, accept whatever he wills. And it's not that you're like intentionally trying to conceive, but you're also not avoiding it intentionally. And so um, anyway, a year later we had a baby and her name's Mary Jo and I love her a lot, but um, birth was a really difficult experience for her and for me. Um, she had some medical complications and so did I. So following her birth, we found ourselves in a season of NFP where we really needed to, or we had discerned that we had some serious reasons to avoid a pregnancy for a, for a certain amount of time to allow my body to heal, to allow my baby to heal, um, and praise God we're all good today. But um, I say that as an example because, you know, just because you find yourself in one season of NFP where you're like, yeah, babies, you might find yourself another season, maybe nine months later, where you're like, oh, shoot, <laughs> how do we avoid a baby? <laughs> 
um, for you know a certain amount of time. So um, again, this is just where an instructor comes in and can help you and can guide you through any you know scary season or a season of life that um, perhaps God has just put it on your heart that you need to wait to conceive again. So. That's my second point. My third point is communication. So um, if you're a man in this room, raise your hand if you are what you would call an expert on the female cycle. Exactly. <laughs> when you think men know everything about our bodies already, I, I assumed a lot of things going into marriage. I thought, oh yeah, he knows what's happening. He does not know what's happening. So if you're getting married or are married, have a conversation with your spouse about what happens every month because things change so fast and it is really hard for the man to keep up. So communication is key. Um, and as an instructor, I would be very sad if I didn't leave you with at least a little bit of knowledge about the female cycle and what's going on. So um, here's a, sh a short little intro to it. But basically your, your cycle as a woman starts on the first day of your period. So you know your, your period, your menstrual cycle, same thing. Um, when we talk about cycles, the first day of your cycle is always the first day of your period. Um, generally speaking, women, for the most part, are infertile during that leading phase. There's exceptions to that rule, of course, but generally speaking, you are infertile. Following that, you enter into a second phase of your cycle where you are also considered to be infertile, sometimes for a very short amount of time. Some women hop right into their fertile window, so it really varies. Um, I know women who ovulate very early and they have no infertile days in between that period and your fertile window. So again, a cycle educator can really help you determine you know, what is happening with your own cycle in your body. But then you have what I like to call the main event of the cycle, which is your ovulation and that fertile window. This is the, the best thing that happens during the cycle. And I think we just downplay it all the time because we think, oh, my cycle is just my period. But it's not. The best thing of your cycle is your ovulation. Um, so that's the main event. And um, the fertile window you know, can really vary in terms of the number of days that you have, depending on the observations that you're doing for NFP. So I'm a Marquette Method instructor, and I like to use a hormone monitor. It's a urinary hormone monitor that the woman uses at home to track her hormones. And typically with that, you can narrow down that fertile window to about 10 days each cycle. So you know, in my, from my experience, during the cycle, you have your period, a few days of infertility, your fertile window, which is about 10 days, and then you have a, an extended um, time beyond that that you're considered to be infertile. But first, touching on the fertile window. So if you are trying to conceive, um, and God willing, you know, this everything is um, healthy, then this can be a very hopeful and exciting time um, of the cycle. When you think as a couple that you are coming together to co-create with God to bring forth life, it is very exciting. Um, and God really, in his just goodness, has biologically um, prepared the female body for that act of intercourse. Um, I think there's a lot of biblical references, you know, where women conceive and you know, you wonder, oh, they didn't have technology like the little urinate hormone back then. Like, how do they know? It's like, there's ways. Like, <laughs> um, if, if you take a cycle education class with us, like, we teach you about cervical mucus, which is amazing. It's just like, um, you know, biologically natural producing substance that can really help the, guide the woman through the cycle as well. 
But if you are trying to avoid a pregnancy that cycle, meaning you and your spouse have discerned there's a serious reason that you would like to postpone conceiving, then uh, the fertile window becomes this beautiful opportunity for a fast. So, you know, one thing I really want to leave with you is that NFP should never be a burden. Um, and if you find that fertile window and you're trying to, your best to be abstinent, you know, because you decide, okay, we want to postpone having a baby, um, don't waste those days. You know, that is the time where you and your spouse can maybe have a really intentional conversation with one another. Maybe there's like been something going on that you really need to discuss and have that emotional intimacy with one another that you've been looking for. Um, it's also a season to serve your community. Um, my husband and I like to bring people meals from our church or in our in our family when if we're offering up that fast um, that cycle because you know we want to still be life givers to pour out our life for for people around us even if we are choosing that cycle um, to postpone have bearing life ourselves. Okay, so then the last part of her cycle is her infertile window, and this is. Um, also a very beautiful time in the cycle, um, especially if you have discerned those serious reasons for avoiding a pregnancy, then this becomes um, you know, the long-awaited date night that you've been holding out for you. Like, hey, we fasted for, for 10 days, and we're like, yeah, go on a date night, you know, get the babysitter. Um, so, <laughs> uh, so it's also a very beautiful time, and um, you know, is the, the focus there then is the unity, like Father Joe was saying. Um, which is vital for your marriage to help you continue to love each other every day. So my third point was communication. First, uh, pray. Second, find an instructor. Third, communicate. Um, and bringing it back to that, what I just mentioned about the female cycle, you know, the different phases, that happens really fast. It's like over the course of 28 or possibly more days, the woman is entering into all of those cycles. So. Um, as a woman, you can really help out your spouse if you kind of give them a heads up. Be like, hey, by the way, I think my fertile window is starting in about two days. And he's like, okay, got it. You know, and he'll maybe like go buy flowers that day or <laughs> do something really nice for you. Uh, or if you are trying to conceive, then if you tell him, okay, I think my peak is today, like he's going to really pull out all the stuff for you, right? Because <laughs> he wants to love you. So if you communicate with him, where you are in your cycle, then it's helpful for him because then he can know how to love you intentionally and um, properly based off of how you have to serve that cycle. I think um, what would be really difficult is if, as a woman, you are constantly having to like push off you know, your husband, right? You're like, no, we can't have sex. We need to serve. We are not having a baby this cycle, right? Um, but if he, if, if y'all are in it together and you discern together, then you need to let him know what's happening so that you, he can love you well and you can receive that love from him. Um, so just to kind of wrap up here, I know you guys have heard a lot of talking tonight, but um, each cycle is truly a new opportunity for discernment in NFP. Um, and in general, the woman does have a greater role in terms of like observing your your fertile. Um, Symptoms like if you just do cervical mucus, obviously the man can't really, you know, sort that for you. You gotta, you gotta use your eyeballs. Um, you can sometimes take your temperature to help you track during your cycle. I mean, I guess the man can maybe hold the thermometer in your mouth. Like that's kind of weird. So you know, typically the woman does that herself also. Um, the the thing that I do as a Marquette instructor is um, use a urinary hormone monitor. So I pee in a little cup every morning. You 
know, you stick your little test stick in, and you put it in the monitor, and it tells you your fertility for that day. Um, again, the man can't pee for you, right? Maybe he's, maybe you pee and he holds the stick in, and you're like, go for it, buddy, you know? <laughs> but that's also kind of weird, so. <laughs> uh, I think that, for the most part, the woman really does have to kind of take up that cross and choose to, um, observe her virtual symptoms, but then where the man can come in and to be the leader is to really guide you in that discernment. Um, some men like to take charge of the chart, so like if the woman is the observer, the man can then have the chart and put in all the little things in it that you need to track where your portal window is. Uh, really, I think as a couple, you have to decide what works best for you. Um, for, for me, my spouse, we just keep our chart in the bathroom, and we share a bathroom, so he knows where it is. He can look at it anytime he wants. If he's like, oh, I'm planning a date night, like I'm gonna surprise her, look at her chart, you know, he can do that if he wants. But also, I can shout at him from the bathroom while I get dressed, be like, hey, heads up, like, you know, two more days, like, or, or, uh, <laughs> this is silly, but the hormone monitor that I use to track, it has a little smiley face on it when you get a pee reading. So, in either case, whether you are avoiding pregnancy or achieving pregnancy, it's a happy thing, because you're like, yay! <laughs> Like we either have a good chance of conceiving or um, four more days till the infertile window um, begins. So anyway, um, communicate with your spouse what's happening and discern as a couple. So I just want to encourage you, if you are married in the room and if you have um, picked a method of NFP and it's not working for you, that it's never too late to switch or to do some research, find a method that works for you. Um, because I think there's a lot of resources out there, but one thing that um, I just want to empower you to do is to do your research, because um, the worst thing is just sitting at home kind of thinking like, oh, this is so hard, and it's a burden, and no one wants to live like that, right? Um, so do research, uh, look into a method, and actually on RHN's website, we have a really great flow chart that we've created amongst the cycle educators to help you to discern what method might be good for you. So basically, it's, it's on the psychoeducation homepage, and you just read it from left to right, your view, left to right, and um, you kind of just read the prompt. So it's like, are you trying to conceive? Or are you, do you like technology? Like, the Marquette method. Um, or anyway, you just kind of follow the, the questions, and it can lead you to um, an answer for a particular method, and then you can read about it further down on the page as well to see if that kind of lines up with what you're looking for. So that's a new resource that we have, and um, also I'd be just happy to answer any questions you guys have afterwards if you are in a season where you desperately need an NFP instructor. So. But 
if it's something that you don't think is a severe issue and you can just come off the birth control, I highly recommend doing that. Um, it may take a couple of months for your body to regulate. Um, and it, to be honest, it may not actually regulate without you doing active things. So like maybe you were on birth control and you gained a bunch of weight. And coming off the birth control, you, your body might not just go back to where you were before. Um, so there might be, like you might need to actually do things to correct what happened because of birth control. Um, but that's where, you know, I would highly recommend learning how to chart your cycle because after a couple of months, you should be ovulating again. You should be having a regular cycle. Um, and if you're starting to chart that and you're seeing what's going on in your cycle and you're seeing that it's still irregular after another like three or so months, um, I would get that looked into. What else we got? Um, but it, with the, the birth control, it's specifically like the pill, uh, there's a lot of downsides to it, but uh, some women are very convinced that they need it for some specific reason because they were prescribed it for some other, you know, catch-all. And so my question is, for all of those other reasons, is there some sort of literature that they could go to to find something else that would help fix those problems so they don't feel like they need the pill? Or do you know anything like that? Yeah, I, I don't know of a one source of like all that information. There are a lot of like NFP sources out there that I know like gathered a bunch. Actually, I think Jason Pepper has a site. Do you know the name of that? I don't know the name of that. Okay. I think Jason Everett has a site. He's the one that like goes around and does theology of body talks. And he's put together like a bunch of literature where you can even like Google on there and information about different birth controls and their effects. Um, but yeah, I have not met anybody who their problem, what birth control was the only answer and actually the answer. Like I've seen, I've met people who were on birth control to help with the symptoms, but that was not actually a cure for anything. Is there like a website that you're talking about? Yeah, yeah, so Jason Everett has a website. I just don't remember the name of the website. So, and this is not, this is going to sound argumentative, but it's more coming from a yearning to understand, not to sure. argue. But you said that the purpose of sex is unity and procreation, and you can't separate the two. Why can you not separate the two? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I feel like we got it a little bit. Um, I mean, that's kind of the purpose of, um, that's what sex is for. So... Man, I mean, I could give a long, long, long um, theological explanation, but um, I don't know, maybe we'll save that for a, a table discussion. I think that would be good for everyone to kind of dive into, but um, yeah, because it, it violates, like when you when you divorce the two, it violates the act. Um, you can't you can't separate the two. Um, yeah, I feel like I said a little bit about that, but it's um, it's not good for your soul. It's not good for your body. So we, we talked about instances of how you do that, and we kind of explained like how those are wrong, like IVF as violating the unitive function. So like that's we can talk about why IVF is wrong. Part of it is because it violates the unitive function, right? Um, yeah, I mean, are you more anything more specific? Is it about like one function or the other, like unitive or procreative? I mean, I guess we talked about the unitive, but not as much 
separated from her reading. Sure. No. So like I guess maybe more specifically why like why is it wrong to use contraception? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Um, I don't know. You guys want to do this? So I think it kind of goes back to sins in general and mortal sins, right? Being like anything that violates like the natural law or the yeah. law's law, right? Yeah. So even if like, for instance, like killing somebody, like, we, we can't kill somebody, we know that's moral, morally sinful or great. Um, so in the same way, it's like sex is a serious thing. It's not something flippant. It's not, it's not like God didn't just give it to us and didn't care about it. It's something really important. And so we want to treat it with the gravity that it has. And so we want to direct it in the way that God wants it to be directed, like ordered, right? We want it to be rightly ordered. And so in that way, it should it's supposed to be, as God designed it, both unitive and procreative, or both unitive and open to life. And so when we separate it, that is going against a natural law and how God created it. Yeah, I'll add on to that just from a practical standpoint. So in marriage, if my spouse were to um, withhold something of himself, then that would be, at that point, withholding the procreative from the unitive. Um, if he did that, I would be really sad, right? So an analogy that I could think of is, like, my favorite cookie in the whole world is, is Oreo cookies. They're so simple, but delicious. So if my husband had a tub of ice cream, but then behind his back he had a whole thing of Oreos, and he's like, here, I got ice cream. I'm like, yes, I love ice cream too. But my favorite thing in the whole world is Oreo cookies. And those are behind his back, and he's withholding them from me. I would be furious. So I think that you know, in marriage, that, that makes more your question makes more sense because it's like you have come to the altar on the, the great day of your wedding, and you said, I agree to totally give myself to you. And then if later, like behind closed doors, there's one of one of the spouses is like, actually, just kidding. Like, yeah. I don't I don't really want to, you know. Then that's that's where it really breaks down the acts because I think it goes back also to the vows that you make. It's like if you don't want to make those vows, then you maybe you don't have an obligation to the procreative and unitive. But in the context of the Catholic faith, we do. So that's awesome. Yeah, I love that. I mean, I think, yeah, part of it is the um, like marriage is like you're giving yourself completely to the other person. Like you're saying you're going to be faithful to them. Um, you're saying that's like I choose you and no one else. And like when you enter into the sexual act, you're, you're giving yourself fully. That's like the most intimate thing human beings can do, right? And you want to give like everything. And so like we've talked about um, is that your fertility, your sexuality like it's part of that, right? So you can talk about like your body speaking a language. So like if you're saying I'm giving you everything, but you're withholding like your fertility by using contraception, you're not actually giving everything to one another. So that's a good angle for sure. Does that kind of get at some of it? Yeah. It's a big question. I mean, yeah, it's, we can't exhaust it fully here, but uh, I like that kind of frame it in a desire to know more. Um, Pray about it, ask the Lord, talk to a lot of people here are smart, so you can talk to them. Keep talking about it though. Yeah. And like keep if it doesn't make sense to you now, keep looking into it. Because there are so many resources on it and it the more you look into it, the more it makes sense. I think it 
when you're doing natural family planning, if you're out of time where you're discerning that it's not right for you to have a child, it works. Like, it's not, like, you are still operating and not withholding yourself, but it's something where you, you can avoid pregnancy if that's what you discern to do. So it's, it's something that is really good to learn, and it works in that sense if that's what you discern to do. So I feel like some people think of that as like, oh, like I have no control of the situation. We don't really have control of the situation, but and it feels like, oh my gosh, I'm going to end up with 12 children. But I think that the more people talk about it, the more you realize that that's not the case. And you can work within like the design of your body, especially if you're trying to not achieve pregnancy, but also when you are trying to achieve yeah. pregnancy. Yeah, I think so. A lot of people ask, they kind of challenge. It's like, well, like natural family planning, like actually kind of seems like a form of contraception. Uh, or, or they'll say like, well, what's the difference? Like, what's the difference? Like, um, I mean, a, a very elementary question is like, well, you're, you're trying to do the same thing. You're trying to avoid pregnancy, right? But hopefully we all know that like the means actually matter in morality, right? So if like you want to make some money, make a thousand dollars you can do that a lot of ways right you can go get a job and earn it or you can go rob a bank uh, obviously those are two different things if you want to pass a test you could study hard or you could cheat uh so there's like there's different means that that, that make a difference right the other point you were saying is um so we haven't really got on this a lot we've, we've touched on it but it's also a beautiful tool to achieve pregnancy we're kind of like we talk about avoiding pregnancy a lot but like a beautiful tool to achieve pregnancy. I don't think we realize how many people struggle with infertility. You know, as a priest, it's amazing how many people come to me to pray with me and just ask for guidance because they like a lot of people struggle with infertility. So it's um, you know, like knowing like knowing your body and like understanding causes. Um, but like this helps to achieve pregnancy, and like these people are are very helpful in, in this regard. So reach out to them. So. You had mentioned that you do a lot of family um, uh, counseling. Mm-hmm. Uh, and when you do feel pushback from couples about wanting to use contraception, what are a lot, do you ever get to the root of why? Because I think that's a big thing. It's like, why do you feel yeah. necessary to use Yeah. Out the gate, especially. Yeah. Um, yeah, people are usually pretty honest with me, but um, I don't know. Sometimes maybe they're they're uh, not being completely honest with me. Um, but usually, like the reason, they don't, they want, they don't want to have a child, right? Like that's the reason. And then like, why do they not want to like come off of this? Is like, it's usually out of like, which a lot of things in our spiritual life are, a lack of trust, fear, like a lack, a lack of trust in the Lord's providence, right? Um, so, yeah, that's, that's a huge part of it, is fear, right? Um, I talk to people a lot, and in the confessional, people are very vulnerable and honest about it. Um, but, like, we talk about that natural family planning is, like, percentage-wise, just as effective if you do it the right way. Now, it's not as, per se, easy, um, but we talk about all the negative consequences and effects of contraception and all the beautiful things that bring about communication and intimacy for the couple. Um, it's amazing, honestly. 
what it does for the couple. Because when you're on contraception, you don't even think. You're just like, okay, whatever, let's do this. Like, you don't actually like respect, not necessarily, but there's a very huge opportunity and a temptation to like, you know, uh, lose like respect and the dignity for, for your spouse. Because, you know, you just treat them as, you can treat them as an object. Not always, but it's a possibility. But yeah, that's usually the fear, lack of trust, right? But I think that that's why we want to help people understand the beauty of natural family planning because it is just as effective. Not as easy, but just as effective. <laughs> Speaking of like non-Catholics and like maybe the secular world, um, are, do you have any resources you could maybe point someone to that isn't Catholic or is secular to see like the fullness of the truth behind NFP? Absolutely, yes. Um, if you want to get my contact afterwards, I can send an email. Yeah, I'll post it. Yeah, I'll just yeah, I'll post it. <laughs> So I'm probably not the only one in this room who had never heard of NFP before, you know, until very recently, like wasn't taught in schools or anything like that. This is more of like an opinion question. Why do you think that 
this this concept is so foreign to really anybody. Well, a lot of people, both Catholic, secular, and otherwise, um, compared to like contraception or or other more commonly understood methods. I think that um, you know before contraceptives were even available, there are a lot of cultures using some sort of NFP. You know, you have like some cultures that are like counting days, or like there's this concept that a lot of cultures know that you're not fertile every single day. A lot of cultures know like there's a time you can get pregnant, and so there's some sort of knowing like you avoid and you can be together certain times. Um, but you know, I heard this this phrase thrown out the other day. Um, and it's just lazy gynecology, to be honest. It's like this medication was developed, and so everyone's like, oh, great, I can use this. I don't have to educate. Because, I mean, how often do you go to the doctor's office and they spend a lot of time with you explaining things to you? So, like, when it comes down to pee, you have to be educated. Like, you have to learn about these things. And so, you know, it's the same thing as, like, why aren't high schools teaching, like, finance? You know, like, all sorts of things. Like, they don't teach the female reproductive system. And so we have to teach, we have to find educators and people who are learning and going out and teaching. Um, and so that's what I think is so beautiful about the church. You know, she's always stuck to the truth of being against contraception, but now also forming a lot of people in the knowledge and forming a lot of like, mission work going out and teaching people these things. Yeah. Great question, John. Well, I mean, this might be tagging off of her question from earlier, but I know a big part of a lot of Catholic marriages is sexuality and just the act of sex as a whole. So, I mean, is it really possible to engage in a sexual act and not produce children? You know, I'm kind of referring to the whole red shirt scene that you showed us earlier. So is it possible to, you know, just like, again, like during a marriage, like engage in the sexual act and not have it not result in children? Is that at all possible? 
Opportunity for growth um, and trust and growth in your interior life and your relationship and your intimacy with Christ. So, yeah, it's an awesome question. So, yeah, I don't know. Like, maybe people haven't done, like, good discernment on that because, like, I, I think, okay, let me say this last thing. I would say, like, I think it's an okay desire to say, like, yeah, that'd be great if I had three children. I think that's, like, a, a healthy, holy desire um, but then you have to kind of like dig a little deeper, right? It's like, what's under that? It's like, well, am I going to be like mad at God if I only get two or zero or seven? So I think, yeah, just want to say like, I think that's an okay, healthy desire, holy desire to say, yes, that would be wonderful if God blessed me with three children. So, but then it's like, okay, well, now the rubber hits the road and now you're infertile. Like, where are you, where are you at with that? So it's tough. Great question. Final questions? We've got a few minutes left. All right. We got two questions. All right, Claire, we'll go Claire and then we'll go right here. It comes down to like uh, just constant discernment from what you know. Um, yeah. Because, I mean, 
we kind of selfish creatures, right? And uh, we are so I am. Right? Um, yeah. And uh, marriage is the ultimate selflessness, you know? And hearing all this, you know, the power behind this is like, reading a book, it's like the end result of every interaction sexually with your spouse should be procreate, you know, it should not be to, to kind of, you know, just for pleasure. Right. Well, openness. Openness, openness. to that, right? Doesn't, yeah. yeah. So, I mean, you know, in the, in the midst of that, you know, when you start the planet NFP and all that, it could also kind of work against you if you kind of, you know, like, we're not going to have children now because of this and this and this, you know. Selfish side could kick in, could kick in, and that's what yeah, the sermon talked about that, right? And then so you're gonna, and you can use that, like internally, and like pretend, and just use sex as just a pleasure, more than, okay, more than that, right? So it's a, it's, a, but the goal is every sexual act should lead to openness to life. It's open to life, that, yeah, no matter what, yeah. And that's a, and then yeah, it's a, it's work. It's a constant. Yeah, we can get even way, way detailed about that because a lot of people in the confessional ask me, all right, Father, like, what can I do? I'm like, oh, here we go. All right. <laughs> we'll save that for another conversation. And I mean, it's yeah, receive it humbly and kind of walk you through, right? Um, openness to life looks like something in the sexual life. Joy, don't worry. Just... Yeah? <laughs> <laughs> Claire? Um, I know like, my guy in college recommends for women to learn and track their sexes in college, and that's why I started, and I'm very happy I started then. So yeah, I'm over my learning process with it, but I think, like, what's, what, when to too young to start tracking your cycle, or do you recommend that being like, with period, like initial period education? Um, I know, like, when I was starting, I was like, wow, like, what am I going to teach God willing my future daughters this tool? Yeah. I, I, to be honest, I know we're talking about this in the context of natural family planning and planning families, but I think that it's so important for women in general to track their cycles because it's a sign that God gives us to help us know our health. Um, just like you know, you can get your blood pressure taken, you have your temperature taken, you can check your pulse. You know, our ovulation and our cycle gives us so much good information about our health, and it's. I mean, when you learn how to track that, I mean, I feel like when we're talking about dignity and, like, your husband understanding your human dignity, I feel like women feel so much more dignified in understanding their own bodies when you learn it. Like, you treat your body with so much more respect when you know what's going on with it. And then, obviously, in marriage, your husband respects you, too, because he knows, like, how complex and beautiful that is. Just to add on that, um, I don't know if any other women in this way, but growing up, I thought my body was weird because I didn't know my cycle. And like things happen during your cycle and you're like, what is that? Like, I'm not gonna tell anyone about that. Like, surely that girl doesn't also have that, right? So I think like as young as, I mean, as, as soon as the woman gets her first period, there's some sort of education for that. I know um, RHM does some teen fam um, like cycle education. So cycle education for teenagers. And it's more for that health piece, like she's saying, it's for them to understand what's going on. And, and you know, there are a lot of young women who have gynecological um, issues that we can help them with um, early on instead of them having to suffer for a long amount of time until they're maybe closer to marriage and they're like, oh, I really need to get this figured out now, right? So it's like the earlier, I think, 
curriculum, I'm not sure if it's Christ the King or Holy Spirit, but there's a curriculum called Teen Star, 